Welcome to the 5D Academy of Higher Consciousness. I'm Zarathustra. We're broadcasting live from Los Angeles. And um, I have a very interesting topic for, uh, for you. One of our participants asked me to talk about God and religion. And um, actually, I can talk about them separately, but I'm going to try to talk about both in, in one event. And uh, we'll go from there and see what happens. If we don't have enough time, then I, we will continue the conversation the following week. All right, let's talk about this. A lot of people um, do ask me uh, if God exists or not. Um, but I, And they tell me, why do I, in my writings, in my book, and Whenever I refer to God, I, I say her majesty. Uh, and why am I referring to God as a she and not a he? Because originally we were brought up, um, um, at least in whomever was born in the past century, that uh, we were told about God. And when we think of God as a he, and uh, it's probably an old man with gray hair and a big uh, gray beard. And uh, he probably holds a stick in his hand. And uh, when you do something wrong, he punishes you, especially when you think about um, a three-letter word that you should never think about, he's going to punish you. And that word is called sex. So then God comes and punishes you over that one. So that's the image we have, or I have, of God. And uh, obviously, I was told about heaven and hell. And if I'm a bad person in this life, then I'm going to be spending the rest of my eternal afterlife in hell. So anyway, this story, uh, and there is something called heaven. And if you're a good person and you do all these stuff you're going to end up being in heaven which heaven also sounds very boring to me because i think i'm going to be very bored very quickly being in heaven all the time uh so none of it really as i was growing up none of it was making any sense to me and of course i uh, i grew up in a country that i was 5 years old and we moved to from france to iran and so I'm growing up in Iran in this Islamic culture, which is very much God-oriented and very much into worshiping dead people. And um, all these do's and don't do's and all these sins uh, and stuff like that. So it's very hardcore. And uh, none of it was really making any sense to me. And... Uh, of course, in the beginning, you don't know what to think, and you're just conditioned by whatever they're feeding you and whatever is going on in your surroundings. But eventually, as you grow up and you develop your own personality and your mind starts to expand and you begin to ask questions and wondering um, what's going on. And of course, every religion their God is better than the other religion and um, they're doing the right thing and everybody else is wrong. So this just didn't make any sense to me. And the fact that God is going to 
punish me for my wrongdoings and is going to, uh, but I saw a lot of people doing wrong things and they didn't get punished. So, and they got away with it. So you see all these things happening in the world and uh, naturally you get to a point that you're questioning it. And if you go to religious people who are very dogmatic, um, their answers is vague and it doesn't really make any sense or at least it didn't make any sense to me. So, but let's first talk about God. Does God exist? And not to my understanding of the absolute, my knowledge. Yes, God exists and nothing is outside of God. Nothing does exist without the will of God. Uh, but God is, as far as I see and feel and touch and sense, and I've uh, come awakened to is the existence of God is in everything, everywhere. However, God, not as this figure of this man with white hair and white beard who is there to punish people, um, not that dude. That's to me is a fantasy. It's a story that's been created and um, for a number of different reasons. Uh, and I'm going to get into that too. So if I forget and I deviate from this topic, please bring me back. But God as consciousness, God as presence, God as the living spirit, uh, the intelligence that governs the world. Something highly intelligent must be around. Some, something vastly superior to human intelligence must be running the show and be in charge um, of governing the universe. Something which for the human mind is almost impossible to comprehend that because our mind is the way the mind thinks is very three-dimensional and it needs images and objects. And the mind, uh, it needs a beginning and an end. So it cannot, it doesn't comprehend eternity. It doesn't comprehend vastness and emptiness. Uh, when we do talk about vastness or empty, emptiness, the mind wants to put it in a frame, in a box to understand it because that's how it works. It can not perceive and imagine vastness and eternity. It just doesn't get it because itself is not eternal and it's not vast. It's limited. So it cannot go beyond its frame of ability. It's very limited in comparison to the absolute. Something that I call God has been here ever since the ever since. And this, you may want to call it emptiness. You may want to call it space. Something is here. Something's been here always. And something will be here after this body, this body-mind mechanism, this object will die, which certainly will die one day and perish. And something's going to be left here. That intelligence that 
whether we want to say created this mod, uh, uh, this world, created this expression of life that we're experiencing, which is beyond the good and the bad. It's not limited to good and bad. It contains both good and bad within itself. And actually good and bad are different expressions of it, different expressions of the absolute, the, the creator that has created both good and bad, beauty, beauty and ugliness in the third dimension, which none of it can exist without the other one. You cannot have beauty in this world if there is no ugliness. It's not, then beauty becomes meaningless because all there is is beauty. So you would never notice it and you would never appreciate it because you have nothing to compare it to, nothing to measure it against. So it has to be the opposite. So both are being expressed simultaneously. Something of a high superior intelligence is capable to function through this body. Your body is continuously working. Your heart is pumping from the time you were born to the time you die. This organ is pumping, pumping blood. How is that possible? There is no man-made machine that I'm aware of that is capable of running continuously 24 hours a day for 70, 80 years nonstop without taking a break, without any kind of maintenance. Today's technology, I don't think if all the minds in the world come together and try to create a machine that can work for 70 years, 24 hours a day, continuously without maintenance, I don't think such technology exists. Whatever man-made machine we create needs some kind of maintenance after a year or two or three or four years that it's continuously working. Finally, at one point, you need to change a part or do something about it. But this organ, it works all the time. Now, of course, we can say some people have heart attack or they get sick or they need surgery, but there are people who live 70, 80 years and they never have heart issues. And uh, how is this thing working all the time? That's a mystery, really. And all these other systems in the body working. Your digestion is working. You don't have to think about it whenever you eat something. You don't have to think about, okay, now it's time for my body to produce uh, digestive enzymes. Oh, okay, now food has come to my stomach and the stomach needs to produce hydrochloric acid and... Uh, you don't think about these things. You eat something, and if you don't eat too fast and you don't have food allergies, everything will get digested and then it will be disposed. So something of intelligence is capable of handling it. And all these other, other if you study a little bit of anat uh, anatomy and get into the body functions, you'll be amazed how this machine works and how it repairs itself if there's any kind of damages, how it fights uh, bacteria and viruses and repairs things. 
in how your eyes are adjusting into a long distance. You're looking at something far away. And then when you're looking at something nearby, how are all these functions working in your body? How, who's running it? How is that happening? Was it just accidentally happened to come this point? Is it like evolution? Um, is there an intelligence here? Do we have an intelligence here that knows what it's doing? Or it's just happening on its own accord? I believe there is an intelligence here. Then the rest of the stuff that is happening outside of my body, the universe, the, let's say the planet, the planet Earth, is turning around itself, then is going through this turn around the sun, which is coordinated with a bunch of other planets and none of them running into each other. Uh, none of them say after 5,000 years, oh, I don't want to turn anymore, or I decided to change course. I mean, everything is, who's running that? How is that being run? How is that being functioned? It's like really like, wow, there must be some sort of intelligence here, something, something that's in charge of existence. But it's not just a person who's doing it. It has to be an intelligence, an organization that has access to every single thing, every single particle in in the existence is being touched by that. It's beyond our understanding. That I call God. That I call conscious. So in that way, God exists. Again, you can call it consciousness. You can call it the spirit because many, many people don't like the word God because they're simply relating the word God to a religious uh, figure. And we don't have a good experience with that. Okay. So far, anybody has any questions or comments? Hi, Daniela. I saw your message. I was going to write back to you, but I didn't. Where, where, where are you from? Can you unmute yourself and say hello to me? Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> hey, Zaratustra. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, sorry, I'm not putting the video on today. But uh, yeah, I'm Italian and I live in Los Angeles. And yeah, we met we met here before, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I was a little bit uh anyway, it doesn't matter. All we all, all right. we have is the present moment. So <laughs> we're here. Um yeah, so I'm from Genova, Italy, but I've been in LA 20 years and um yeah, so I'm here and I've been uh watching your videos on YouTube to kind of uh balance my beliefs with God and Jesus to give you an idea uh -huh. <laughs> plus, uh, plus you know your your teaching that resonate a lot with me and I'm kind of trying to find well maybe Jesus was talking about the same stuff too you know, <laughs> you know what I mean right so uh but of yeah. course uh the information that we have in, in writing, perhaps you know it just it's written or expressed in it in a different way than the way you uh you talk about so but i'm just so open-minded i just want to uh you know uh, learn to be as present as possible so my mind can give me a break so yeah i get it mm -hmm. well nice 
nice having you back. Yes, I'm happy to. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, uh, who knows a character named Jesus ever existed? How do I know that? How do I know uh, anything a thousand, five hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago ever existed? How do I know it? How do you know it? How does anybody know these things? Because we have to refer to history and the literature and the art and things that are left. And we're using that evidence or information as the facts, as the truth. But I don't know. I mean, I'm just going by the things they told me and they show me. So I open up these books. I see these pictures. Um, I turn on the TV or YouTube and I'm watching these videos and some information is being presented to me. But how do I know it really existed? How do you know something existed? I wasn't here 2000 years ago to know if a character named Christ, Jesus, existed or what happened to him or what he did. For as far as I know, the whole thing could be a story. All of it, it could be a story. I have no idea. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there was a character named Jesus. I mean, I know some people will may get very offended uh, uh, because you're insulting their prejudice by speaking about this thing. But I'm not just talking about Jesus. We can talk about Muhammad. We can talk about Moses. We can talk about Buddha or anyone. I have no way of knowing they really existed or they're some character that they of someone was imagining them and created them. And eventually they keep telling the story over and over and now we're taking it as the truth. I have no idea. So uh, I have a tendency not to go with any of it. I just going with what I know, whatever I've discovered in this life, in this period of time I've been living here, what is it that I've discovered for myself? Because that's the only thing I know 100% for myself. The rest of it is all information that I've acquired throughout my life. I borrowed secondhand information from books, from teachers, from other people, and I accept it as the truth, but it's not my own discovery. I didn't discover it on my own. So anybody uh, want to share your thoughts with me over what we talked about? God as the presence, God as the intelligent, intelligence. No, no one wants to. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to bite you. Can I say something? Yes, of course. Uh, so what you say totally resonates here because I also feel that there is um, there is this divine intelligence and it's true. I, I, it's true the, the body or true the, the plant fields or true the whole ecosystem. Sometimes it's incomprehensible how this is all so little things are so perfect, but there there is this to me, I feel that same way. There's this divine intelligence. And then it takes away, again, that 
I can't know possibly like you're saying I can't know anything really because everything is so much vaster so I'm grateful you said that about not knowing if these stories were true because to me that's always been a little question but it reinforces again that I I can't know any of those things as I cannot know anything that the indoctrination is so strong, I guess. And so I can't really know anything other if I don't than all, all that I perceive is this very moment right now that I'm here. And um, when you say it, then that just, and I don't know, it just brings me back to this. All I know is what, what I experience in this lifetime. And it's not necessarily someone else's, but it's, someone else's can point it out and then i it just brings me right back to here so beautiful i want to share that thank you yeah i appreciate appreciate it manuela i um absolutely it's like the more expanded you become the more you're becoming aware and awake to the truth of who you really are yourself is the more you start to in the meantime question some things because if you look at it objectively it's like how do i know that there's this story of a man named christ and he was crucified and this happened and that happened and now there's this book called bible and how do i know this book bible didn't change they didn't rewrite it and uh and they keep rewriting it to something else. How do I know that? How do I know this is the original writings from 2000 years ago? I don't, I have no idea. So things can change as we go forward according to the fashion and to the trend of the era. And uh, now it's gonna be new information because the new, let's say, that we create a situation that we don't talk about God or religion with any newborn child. So let's say worldwide, we all agree that we're not going to teach about religion to the kids who are born. So how do they know about religion then? What happens to religion? Let's say we hide all the books, everything. And the new kids are being born. They have no awareness and no knowledge of there was something called religion. So you have to transfer it from one generation to another generation in a form of a story. It's a storytelling, basically. I mean, maybe a thousand years ago, they couldn't write things or print things or 1500 years ago, or there weren't. Some cultures that were in writing things or printing things, so they so they told stories from one generation to another generation, and the story started to change. And then a part of the story, maybe somebody says, "You know what? I don't really like this part, so I'm going to change it more to my liking." And so everything started to change. And now, of course, it's in print, but I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not, and I and it doesn't matter really. It won't make any difference in my life right now in this moment. I can only go by what I know myself, what I've discovered myself in this life. And what I've discovered in this life, that there is a presence here. 
There is a powerful being, and that's not a belief because I'm in touch with this powerful being. It's inside me. It surrounds me. It dances around me. It touches me. It does healing work through, through me at times. So that I know it's here. I can't see it with my eyes or touch it with my fingers. I can't eat it or smell it, but I am in touch with the presence, especially when my mind is quiet, when I'm not thinking and, in, and I'm in silence, this presence shows its vastness to me because my heart opens up to this place of love, pure love. And times I start crying. So where is this thing? What is this thing that is here? And when I'm not in my head and I'm not mind fucking, you know, which most people on the planet are doing, mind fucking all the time, analyzing, thinking, and it's getting worse and worse. You can see it around you that society is getting worse to a point like you can't talk to somebody. You're talking to them. They're all over the place. I got a bunch of friends like that. I can't talk to them. I have to explain things five times. It's exhausting because they can't complete ADD. They're, they're not listening to you. They're everywhere. The mind. So, but when you're able to go beyond that and you come into this deep silence, all of a sudden something appears here that brings you this deep calmness and this love and this sense of security and this sense of all is well. Everything is in very good hands and you're back into being centered, mad. I call it God. And the miracles that I've seen that this presence is capable of doing, including life, simple life, being alive, simply being alive, simply being able to talk. You open your mouth and you speak. You can use your hands. You can do a lot of different things. That's like an incredible miracle. Uh, Daniela, you have a question? You, you rose your hand? No? Shadi John, go ahead. I just wanted to continue on what Daniela brought up and yourself um, with today's topic. But also I ask you, you if you could also expand on, I know a few weeks ago, I think one of the topics was on um, our spiritual guides, or I don't, I don't remember exactly the title of your discussion. Um, and that, you know, everybody has, it's, it's, it's for everybody. It's not just for this person or that person. And that comes through, um, well, I think, uh, God consciousness as well. So when you were just speaking about Christ and some of these other, um, entities that how do we know they exist, uh, can you also just touch base on what your thoughts are on archetypes? And if that's something that plays a role uh, as well. Since a few weeks ago, I think one of the topics was on guides. Okay. Um, let me finish up the, that's a good one. I like to talk about it. Let me finish up this topic. And then if we have okay. time, we'll get into that. No one. Not, we can talk about it next week. Uh, Sorry, because I was I was having a problem. Hi, sorry. In the the topic of God and what you were saying, again, I'm I'm uh, personally speaking because I'm also open minded about you know just the 
you know, be open to the possibilities like you, you talk all the time. But I have to say that it comforts me to know uh, that there is God, that I'm not alone. And I know that you say that at the end, you know, we there is no separation between this identity with God, okay? So without getting into that, I have to say my journey, uh, you know, sometimes it gets scary because, you know, my mind goes in a place where I feel alone. And even though I talk to God and all of that, you know, I look around in this 3D uh, dimension and, you know, uh, I, you, it's, it's a, a bringing down or knocking down these layers of uh, uh, blindness or, or a confusion or, you know what I mean? The illusion that causes me a lot of times uh, to feel, what the heck, I'm really alone here. You know what I mean? So it, in a way, you know, for me, this God thing, it's also comfort my heart to know right. that I'm not completely alone, you know, in this world. And I try uh, right. to, to feel right. that I can talk to, to this infinite intelligence. And, 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 you know, guys, what I ask, you know, I, I ask peace of mind. I, I try to avoid to ask things, oh, get me more students or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm like... For me, my mental health and spiritual health are the most important thing because okay. you know, it keeps so, me alive. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> All right. So I, I, I understand what you're saying and I appreciate it. You're sharing it with us. And let me just um, answer, refer back to what you said. Okay. All right. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, the way my I understand that let, let's also because the two are of course very very connected and um, let me just explain one part this part I want you to think about this part and um, then we're going to talk about religion but in a, in a lot of the religions for example I mean I'm going to tell you why this whole thing has happened the way it happened and what's going on is that we originally created religion and what happened is it became very clear that by creating religion in a way that there is a God who is going to punish you for whatever good you do, I mean, is going to reward you for the good stuff and is going to punish you on the bad stuff. And here is the book. It's Bible, Quran, Old Testament, whatever it is, is if you look at it, it's like, who is it really serving in, in all these dogmatic stuff, in these stories that this religion is having? Who's benefiting from it? For whom is it created? Whose benefit? And if you dig deep and look at it, you see that how many times, how many wars, how many thousands of young kids have gone to war and, and they've been killed or dismembered under the name of religion? And, and two countries or two different religious groups 
they went to war with each other, like the Muslims and the Christians during the Crusades. And they went against each other for 300 years, 200 years, whatever, been fighting. And who's right? Whose God is better than the other God? The way I see it is everybody's recruiting soldiers. And religion today, or I would say it's been like this for thousands of years, is basically is recruiting soldiers. They want to they have more soldiers. That's what is going on. And that's nothing new. I mean, things have changed today and the religion is not as powerful as it used to be, but there's other type of ways of recruiting soldiers. Either you're, you are very patriot, patriotic and you are uh, working for your country's army uh, or for the tax department or for the foreign ministry, or uh, you're in a, a spiritual group, you know, you're Buddhist or you're um, part of some kind of Sufism or some kind of other groups, but they're all kind of acquiring, especially nowadays, a lot of different spiritual groups that you join the cult or you join the movement. And their message is the top-notch message. And that's how it is. And anybody below that, anybody who's not a part of this cult or this spiritual group, then they're unconscious. They're not conscious. So, you know, it's like, oh, we're the best. And our practice is number one. And everybody else is unconscious. Or if you're... And that's in everything. It's in veganism. It's in bhakti yoga. It's in, it's everywhere. When I look at it, I find it in a lot of different facets of the society. It's not necessarily religion. But what has religion done for us? Religion, what is it expecting you to do? It's a blind belief into an almighty power that is telling you to do this and to do that. And it requires you to go to war and kill other people to defend its ideology. So in a broader term, to me, it's a system of controlling to control people. Now, does it have anything good in it? Yes, it does. Of course. Of course, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. But ultimately, the way I see it is a system to control the mind and to keep you limited and repressed and to be a good soldier so you follow blindly. It's not there to awaken you to a higher consciousness, to self-realization. It's a slavery system, but there's a lot of different slavery systems. That's not the only one. It doesn't st stay there, but it's the strong ones. That to me, any kind of group, any kind of teachings, that is going to come and tell you, we are the best, we're the, the chosen one, and we're the most conscious people on the planet, and everybody else is unconscious, and they're going to go to hell, and we have to dictate our ways to them, is that particular mentality is very unconscious. Right there, it's very clear that that's a red flag. Some, something's up. 
in that very moment for me, I turn around and I walk away because what it does is it doesn't matter how conscious the group is and how righteous they think they are. The moment you, you say we are better than them, then you have created separation, we and them. That to me indicates that you have not reached the awareness that there is no us and them. It's all one. It's all reflections of the one. So at any moment, anybody is, is bringing that idea, to me, it's a red flag immediately, right then and there. Because if you're, you have reached a level, let's say like Ramana Maharishi, you would never, ever would say anything like that or indicate to it. So this whole religion thing, it's a mind control. It's one of the best ways you can control people blindly on a belief, not understanding. It's not a self-understanding thing. You have not come to this realization on your own. You're believing in something. You're believing and this whole thing about believing in God and believing in heaven or hell or religious stuff, to me, is again, indicates that human beings, their fear of death, the fear of the stuff that they don't want to face and to know, because they're so afraid, so frightened of the unknown and the discovery of things that threaten the very foundation of human beings is they prefer to close their eyes and not look at it and defer it to something called religion than really opening their eyes and looking into it. And that definitely has the issue of death on the very front of it, because we don't want to look at it. We don't want to talk about it. I mean, I know when it, the subject comes in my family where, you know, everyone gets uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to get away from it. Oh, no, don't say this. No, no, no. Da, da, da. Oh, uh, God forbid if one day your mom is gone, there's no if. It's just a when. It's like, let's deal with it. You cannot live. You cannot be born. You cannot live this life if there is no death. They come hand in hand. From the moment you were born, you're subject to dying. From the moment, if you're, you're one minute old, you are subject to death. So death is like a shadow is right here by you, wherever you go at any moment. There is no if I ever die, when I die because it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. So what we do is we don't want to deal with these things. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to think like, okay, what's going to, what's there after I die? Or where was I before I was born? Yeah, now it's a lot of topic, a lot of talk about reincarnation, but where were you before you were born? And since we don't want to deal with these issues, these questions, we prefer to sweep it under the rug and defer it to something. We call it religion or whatever. It's just because we're not willing. We're afraid, too afraid to deal with it. 
I use a simple example. How many people go to psychics? I mean, I had like thousands of people wanting me to do psychic reading for them. And, and I don't do it. And because it's not really my thing. But if I wanted to make a living from being a psychic, I would have been making a lot of money because I can tell people a lot of things about them because it just comes to me naturally. And I just, just know things about them. But why would I go to someone else to, to have them do a reading on me and for them to tell me, should I marry her or not? Should I take this job or not? Should I move to another city or not? Why would you want somebody else to tell you what to do? You have your own intuition. You have your own in intellect. Why not referring to yourself? Why do you have to do tarot cards or to go get some crystals or do some runes and that, 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 that. why not referring to the ultimate intelligence, which is over here within yourself? Why deferring it to somewhere else or someone else to tell you what to do? I mean, I have this happen all the time. People asking me, what should I do? Yeah, of course, it's natural. You go sit with a friend. Sometimes you really don't know what to do in your life. You're confused and you want to get you want to reflect with someone you feel comfortable with and and maybe in through discussions clarity comes i'm not saying that that happens to everybody but this thing that i go to someone i don't know at all i've never met in my life and i'm paying them 200 dollars for them to do a reading for me to tell me what to do and then i call them every week every week asking them what to do is that you're completely giving your power away. You're completely admitting that you're what? You're like zero intuition, zero knowing of yourself, of what you like, what you don't like, your own life. And someone else needs to dictate to you what to do. And a big portion of the humanity does that all the time, continuously. That's why a big portion of humanity is followers. They're following but who are they following? What do the major religions do? Let's look at it. Like, how is human beings being created on this planet? Is basically through a man and woman having sex with each other, and a human being is born up to now. Now, I understand technology has come to a point that they can create babies in a tube, or in a laboratory, okay, but that was up to now, you know, past maybe 20 years or whatever. I'm not really updated on science, so I don't know exactly when they started doing it, but that's something new. You may say, okay, we can create children in a laboratory, All right? But up to now, how was it being created? Is through the union of a man and a woman. Now, what happens to you when you're around age 12, 13? 14, to almost every human being on this planet who is healthy and normal, is they go through a process we call puberty. And your sexual juices started to flow. And you start to develop physically, you know, if you're a woman, you start developing your breast, your hips, they start forming. If you're a man, you start getting hair on your chest and your beard and and uh, your instrument starts to work 
and your attention goes in that area and then you can just see it like you're maybe 10 11 years old you're playing with toys and you're playing with other kids and then around age 13 14 you if you're a boy you're looking for a girl and if you're a girl looking for boys and you're starting to dress a little bit more attractive or sexy and your interest is having sex because that's all you're thinking about is a strong sexual urge starts to rise. It's an awakening of this energy inside you. And what does religion do is from the beginning, it starts. So what is it? So naturally around that age, your sexual energy starts to awaken and that becomes the focal point of your attention. That's all you're thinking about and you want it. And it may go all the way till the end of your life. For some people, maybe it start, slows down around 50 or 60 years old, but it's there for a long period of time. Why would nature create something like this in human beings? Why do you have these sexual tendencies? Why you want to have sex? Why you think about sex all the time? And when you have good sex is one of the most ultimate things in the world. And what does society do with it, which is based in religion, is sexuality is connected to guilt and shame. So they have attached this guilt and shame to the very fine foundation, very basic urge that nature has created in you and gets it activated around age 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever, around that time. And it's very strong. And what do they do? They shame you. If you're masturbating, they're shaming you that it's a very bad thing to do, which today science is showing that masturbation actually help you and activates a lot of good hormones in your body for a lot of different reasons. I'm going to get into that later, but not right now. Orgasm actually is extremely healthy for human beings, extremely healthy because it creates all these different um, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-headache stuff, all kinds of different things, anti-cancer, all kinds of stuff are being created in the body through having orgasm. But what do you do? In the, every time you're having an orgasm, you are feeling ashamed of it because that's what they're telling you when you're a kid, that it's a sin, that you're guilty. And then what do you have to do? You have to get married by the church in order to be kosher and have sex. But how long does that last with your partner? How long are you excited about your partner having sex with the same person? And what if you see somebody else you're attracted to? Now you're thinking about having sex with them. And then all these guilt feelings coming up. I've met so many people who are so screwed up in their head. They're so fucked up because they were so conditioned that sex is bad, it's dirty, it's, you have to feel ashamed, you have to feel guilty to the very force on this planet that is the cause of recreation. How screwed up is this? That very force that motivates you and creates life 
is totally associated with shame and guilt. And then if you go back to the ancient literature, you go to Tantra. What is Tantra? How come we're not teaching Tantra to our kids? Why don't our kids have sex education from early age? Why don't they learn these things? Why does it have to be in hiding? Why does it have to be underground? So then it gets twisted. So it creates pornography. So it creates prostitution. So it creates that pervert uncle who is a pedophile. All of it goes back to religious background. That's where it starts from. That's how we got everything twisted by creating guilt and shame. So then we can control the population because we got them by the balls. So we can control them. It's a control issue. It has nothing to do with God. Zero. It has nothing to do with divinity. It's all with control. Tantra, which this is another subject that maybe one another day I get into it, but I just want to just briefly, uno momento, let me open this window. I'm hot here. It's not cold in the mornings. It's cold here. Then it gets warm. So Tantra, the definition of Tantra is divine oneness through the union of the two opposites. Divine oneness through the union of the two opposites. So the two opposites merge into each other. And in that emergence, the sense of separation as a separate identity, when you're merging in with somebody you love, and this is happening through meditation, through um, um, reading technique, you're staring at somebody, you're breathing, you're meditating. Uh, you can bring up cer certain kind of uh, names of gods and you're merging into each other and you lose your sense of separation and you become one with the person. So in this emergence that you're, you are entering into this other person and you're becoming one, you lose that sense that you're separated and the oneness is there. And if you do it right, what happens is you may hear yourself saying, oh, my God. Now, the act is happening. OK, but you may say, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, because it's total bliss. It's total presence. God reveals itself in that moment. So if act of sex could be used and taught to us correctly through right education, then, and not being attached to it by shame and guilt, then we can use sexual activity, which we love to do as a kid, in order to reach Godhead, in order to reach a higher level of consciousness by losing ourselves into the oneness and get a taste of the eternal being, eternal presence, and eventually learn how to stay in that place. But no, this is too dangerous because this may lead you to liberation. And if we allow this to happen, since all these kids around the world, all they want to do is doing it, and everybody else on the planet who has a healthy body wants to have sex, then the planet may, humanity may go through an awakening of the God realization 
And also, if you're having sex on a regular basis and you're happy, who wants to go to war? Who wants to go and invade the country next door if you're getting it regularly? Why would you leave a warm bed with a warm partner and go to war? You're not angry anymore. You don't want to go conquer anything. You're, you're just fine. Those of you who've been in this period of time that you had amazing sex with your partner, would you want to leave your bed and your home and go travel around the world or, or go, I don't know, do something else? You don't want to go anywhere. You're so happy. I know that that period doesn't last very long, unfortunately. Maybe for some do. But you cannot control a population and send them on religious wars if they're getting laid regularly and they're satisfied. So right off the bat, you can see like religion or dogmas or even with spiritual groups or spiritual practices that there are telling you sex is a bad thing. You can write in the beginning see that it's a form of control. It's to control you. Now, I don't want to say just bad things about religion, because also when it's not really religion, it's that, that you go to the church or you go to the mosque. And it's very similar in so many, in the essence of what we're doing here. Because by coming together as a group, this is satsang. In Sanskrit, satsang, when you go sit with the master, you go sit with your spiritual teacher, satsang means the association of the monks on the path, the association of the lovers of the truth. So we come together, we sit together. And so what happens in this two hours when we sit together? We get centered. The mind, we do meditate. We the mind becomes quiet. We dive back into our hearts. We come back to this place and you touch yourself. You touch your own holy self and the presence of the Her Majesty, the presence of God, which is here. And it's within your own self. So we come together, sit, sit together, and then we go into this place. And if you resonate to the teachings of the teacher, then far out. It's even better. Now, people go to the church because, again, they go back into their community. They sit together. The preacher speaks. There's some singings and everything. And what it does is it brings people back into this space. Now, they may tie it up to Jesus Christ. They may tie it up to Muhammad or it's Islam or it's Judaism or any other religion. They may tie it up to that figure. So then you think it's Jesus that makes you calm and makes your life really happy and good. But it's not Jesus. It's your own self coming into the unified field of the oneness. You have come to meditation. You've gone to the church that you're projecting this is a holy place. So you go to this holy place in your mind. You're coming to meditation. 
and you're with like-minded people and you sit together and you all go into this silence and they all go into this deep space of love. But it's not Jesus giving you the love and it's not the church or it's not the mosque. It's your intention going into this unified field of the oneness and going into this meditation. So has the Church of Christ saved people from alcoholism, saved people from wife beating, saved people from doing all kinds of bad stuff? Yes, it has. But same as AA, the Alcoholic Anonymous, same as a lot of spiritual teaching, same as a lot of different groups that the group come together, they meditate, they pray together, they share their hearts. Yeah, but it's not Jesus. So when you start to recognize that and objectively you pull back and you look at these things, you start to, things start to click. You start to notice it. And you drop your prejudice. You put your prejudice away because that's a very dangerous thing. The prejudice we have, like, oh, Zarathustra said something bad about Jesus Christ or he said something bad about religion. And I'm so angry and I'm so offended and I'm going to kill this guy. He should be murdered because he said something I don't like. Because he said something that doesn't go with my conditioning, my belief system. Or he said, oh, you know, America, da-da-da-da, or such a country, da-da-da-da. And yeah, he insulted my prejudice. So we have to kill this guy. That's complete conditioning. So when you start to notice these things, you have to start with yourself. You realize that, wait a minute, from the time I was born... I got conditioned completely in all these false beliefs and all these concepts and all these stories. So you just, that's why a lot of times in, in, in my teachings, I share with my students that you have to let go of everything you think you know, all the information, all this data that you have collected, you got to let all of them go and really go for whatever you have experienced. Anything which is your own experience, your own understanding is only valid. The rest of it, they're not yours. It's borrowed information that you brought in here, but you didn't discover it for yourself. So it can mislead you. Hi, Agatha. Welcome back. Nice seeing you. Hi, Eva, Hane, Britta. Hilda Hogan, you're back. Frode. Hi, from Hannah. <laughs> Hi, Hannah. Hi. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And you? Well, welcome back. Thank you. Also, I have to say something that religions are basically born after the master dies. So let's say hypothetically, a character named Christ really did exist at that time. So when the master is alive, supposedly, when I say the master is an awakened being, now you can call it prophet, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. But it's an awakened being. An awakened being is not following any dogmas. 
they're basically spontaneous and they're reacting to whatever life brings to them in the moment. So, for example, let's say in the Islamic tradition, they're talking about drinking alcohol is a sin. Well, according to the tale, like 1600-1700 years ago in Arabia, the Arabs, they were drinking and then they're beating their wives, they're beating their kids, they're drinking, and then they're digging a hole and putting their uh, newborn babies, if it was a girl, put it, digging them into the ground and burying them alive and doing all kinds of things. So when Muhammad comes, he forbids alcohol. So then after the master is dead, drinking alcohol becomes a sin. Now, alcohol is a medicine. No, it depends where you are. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can drink. And of course, a lot of people become alcoholic. They have, they have no tolerance for alcohol or they don't know when to stop and they do stupid things or they're drinking and driving. And the alcohol, we know the history is full of stories of alcoholism. But just drinking the alcohol by itself, it's also medicine. It has a lot of medicinal properties in it. It depends how you drink it, how often you drink it. So, okay, 2,500 years ago, the master comes up and forbids drinking alcohol. And then we have in other cultures that they drink alcohol. Which one is the right one? Which one is, is correct? If you are growing up in Jamaica and smoking weed is very normal and legal and there's no issue, everyone smokes weed. But then if you're in Sweden and you smoke weed, you can easily go to jail for it. But if you fly and go to Amsterdam, all of a sudden, everything is okay. You can smoke weed. There are places, coffee shops, you can go buy things and smoke there. So how, how can you say something is right or something is wrong or something is a sin and something is not? I can't write a formula for every human being that they have to follow exactly the certain rules. What happens is as you're awakening, as your consciousness begin to expand, what happens is you go beyond everything. You start to know yourself and you find balance within yourself. And in understanding yourself and finding the balance, you will know for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And what is right for you at age 40 may not be right for you at age 50 or 60. Or what is wrong for you at age 40 may be very right for you at age 60. Everything changes. There's no set way of how you should be living or conducting yourself except becoming aware and awake of the truth of who you are. So tune in to your own intuition, tune in into your own religion, tune in into this vastness of the being which you is around you, surrounding you, and derive from that, get your information from that. <clears throat> Any question or comments regarding what we've been talking about? Anyone? Yeah. 
Hi, Mona. Oh, who's that? Okay. Marito, Mona, we'll, we'll get to you afterwards. You first? Yeah, go ahead, Marit. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to say thank you. I think all this is very interesting. So now I'll take uh, time to let it all sink in. Yeah, you may want to wa watch this video once or twice in case. Uh... Yes, much interesting. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad you brought the subject because uh, a few days ago I was thinking about what am I going to talk about <laughs> at the academy this time, and then something inside me was saying, just hang in there. Uh, the answer will come. You'll figure it out. And then you wrote to me. Okay. Yeah. Good. I have more coming. Okay. Good. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Keep sending it to me. Uh, hi, Mona. Hello, Zaratustra, uh, and hello, everyone. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here today. And uh, I just wanted to, actually, it was crystal clear, I can say, and it was wonderful. I, I learned a lot, and I just wanted to share my own experience and what I think, although I um, just respect everyone's belief regarding religion and people, I mean, are different, like my, my own family considered to be quite religious. But um, first of all, I think it's exactly like rules and regulations that we um, have for every company when we want to work with it or when we want to just purchase something or, or use services. We just sign a contract. So it, it's like that. For me, religion sounds like that. And um, regarding the... Um, God that you talked about. Um, since I was a child, I was amazed by um, the story of broken mirror and um, watching yourself in the pieces in the broken mirror, like the pieces of broken mirror. And um, I don't know why, but it amazed me all the time. And um, for me, is like that. Um, it is very difficult to um, just describe it, you know how it is because as you look into it like you see your eye you see like your face um every pieces and you need to put them together to see the whole so god is something like your reflection to me since i was a child um and that's it just the only problem is that the thing that you said about sex education for children so they are young and who is going to i don't know if you have my voice clearly yeah uh hold on a second let me uh someone's unmuted let me mute everyone and then come back okay just one moment okay go ahead so just my question is about like education system that we have and you are saying about teaching our teenagers about sexuality and um they i mean um who is going to teach them so that's the question and when people have different beliefs their families are not awakened maybe so it's a like it's quite a, like a utopia if you want to say that we need to have such kind of education for them just the only thing that i can question is that but everything was clear and thank you thank you for the opportunity yeah you're welcome um Unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that today because it's 11.55 here in LA time. So 
we can continue this subject, but very quickly I'll refer to it. I'm, uh, there's a lot of things I don't have any answers for, but basically what I'm referring, I'm just referring to something. Um, my work in, in this is not about correcting the world or changing the world in a way of um, creating a utopian life. Um, if I would say, what is my job? I would say to plant the seed in your mind and to help you to expand it to a higher level of consciousness by helping you questioning some things and looking at things from a different angle and hopefully going to some realizations for yourself. So, and I use that sexual um, sexuality. It was like a point of reference to what religion has done to us as a form of control. But that whole thing about sex education, sexuality, and how twisted the whole thing is, and, and how twisted is become, that's a complete subject, different subject for another day. But I appreciate you brought it up, but we will get into that when we have time. I didn't realize we're almost out of time. Let's talk about it another day. I'm open to it. All right, let me make some announcements. Uh, I decided we're going to have a workshop. I'm going to offer uh, a workshop. It's called Awaken from the Dream. Is The workshop is going to be for three days. It's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, November 12th, 13th, and 14th. It's going to be three and a half hours a day, uh, starting 9 o'clock Los Angeles time to 1230. Um if I have enough participants, I will do the workshop. Uh, you can go on my website, zaratustra.tv. Go to our calendar uh, and click on the upcoming workshop. Again, it's called Awaken, Awaken from the Dream. And the aim of this workshop, basically, I designed it to help you recognizing that Basically, the world we're living in is not real, and it's made out of dream material. So hopefully it will help you not to get too excited <laughs> or to get too worried and fall into fear and anxiety about the world. And I'm going to be teaching you how you can distance yourself, how developing a vision of being in the world, but starting to see it, that it's not real. And that requires training of how you're still your body, your mind, your life, you're living your life, you're living in this world. But majority of people on the planet, they think it's real, very real. And they're very concerned about the world's affairs, and where it's going, and what's going to happen to them. And that's one thing happened to me through the process of awakening, and through the grace of my teacher, that I started to start by his advice, his guidance, I begin to see that this world is not real. And the more I started to see it that way, the more I started to find myself disconnecting 
from its dramas and its ups and downs. And that led me to find inner peace and balance and led me to come to this place of trust, of realizing that the events are continuously going to be happening. Things always happen. Like we can see it right now, there's a pandemic going on. But 30 years ago, we had the Vietnam War. Prior to that, we had the Second World War. The war was just tearing itself into pieces. Now we have this thing. And then, you know, five years, 10 years from now, some other drama is going to happen. But how are you going to stay in the center and not be affected by the world if you really see the world as reality? That's very, very frightening and very disturbing. But if you start to see it, that it's not real, then you're going to discover the inner um, kingdom of heaven. You're going to come to this place of pure bliss and inner silence. And that's what happened to Ramana Maharshi, that happened to Papaji, that happened to many, many masters. That's what happened to uh, the Buddha. They all discovered the truth of who they are. And they, that led them to liberation. But as long as you think the world is real, you're not going go to you're not going to find liberation. So this workshop is aimed at that to help you awaken and find the truth of who you are. Feel free if you have any questions, you can write to us. Um, my email is info at zaratustra.tv. My website is zaratustra.tv. And my social media pages are Zaratustra 5D. The workshop is going to be November 12th, 13th, and the 14th. If we have enough participants, I will do it. Other than that, it's really nice to see you. It's a pleasure and honor to have you here with me. I uh, look forward to hearing from you. And we'll have our next academy next Wednesday. A copy of this broadcast for those of you who've been on, uh, registered on our system uh, through the Zoom, we're going to send you a copy of this video and as well as the podcast. Uh, if you miss it here, then you can go on YouTube or Facebook and you see it there. <laughs> All is well. <laughs> All I can share with you is all is well. And there's nothing going on. It just dive back into the center of yourself and you will see for yourself that everything is very calm and quiet. Nothing is really happening. On the outside world, there's chaos and all kinds of stuff happening. But if you divert your attention back inwards, all you find is peace and quiet and love. Namaste. And looking forward to seeing you next week. Ciao.